Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. So as you are being seated this morning, if you would turn with me over, um, we're going to get to 2 Corinthians eventually. We'll get there uh, before long. It won't be won't be much longer, but uh, we will get there. But I just want to go back and review just a little bit. Um, there's not going to be a test, but there is going to be a review. So we're going to uh, reflect on the past uh, six, seven weeks or so of where we've been and what our journey has been. I love this graphic that's on the screen for you this morning uh, because this, as you recognize, is the front view of our building. If you were to stand on the other side of Ridgewood and look back at our campus, you would see this outline of our building. Uh, on the left is the, the Berkwish Chapel, and then here is the front entrance uh, to um, our sanctuary, just right behind you, directly behind you. And above that is this banner of grace. And a guiding scripture that I think is going to be very important for us going forward as a congregation as we continue to wrestle with a refuge of grace and all that God has for us in this refuge of grace. So one of the things that we began with is in a refuge of grace, we have to be people whose lives have been changed by grace. We know that in order for those who have not uh, walked in relationship with Jesus, they have to see our lives changed by the grace of God. And this grace is not a wimpy grace, but instead in John 10, 10, Jesus said, it is the grace, that relationship, the work that he came to do that allows us to walk in abundant life or to experience life to the full that only comes in relationship with him. And it is this grace that we have received in forgiveness from God that allows us to then forgive other people. Even though we were wronged by them and they may have made us out to be a victim, we still extend to them that forgiveness with no strings attached. Because that's the forgiveness that Jesus actually gave to us. And it doesn't matter what theory somebody might try to teach us. We give that forgiveness no strings attached. Because Jesus gave that forgiveness actually to us. And so with that, that grace that we receive from God in forgiveness leads us to confession and repentance. To then make certain that we rely not on the grace that we received in a moment... But we experience his sustaining grace every single moment for the rest of our lives. Because as we looked at last week, grace is not a moment. It is something that we walk with everywhere we go. And so now we have to continue this conversation to, okay, God's grace sustains us in every moment 
of our, of our life, of every moment of our day, now we have to begin to let its roots grow deep so that it affects every area of our life. You see, I believe in a refuge of grace. Grace can't just touch our soul, but it also has to extend to every fiber of our lives. So imagine a people in a refuge of grace whose souls have been touched by grace, but then their relationships have been changed by grace. And then the things that they do have been changed by grace. And then their finances have been changed by grace. And then the places they go, the the stuff that they see, everything is changed by grace. You see, this is a part of exactly what we sing, we sang just before I came up this morning. It's you're in control. And you're in control. And that's why sometimes whenever we sing, we lift both hands to God as a sign of total surrender to Him, that He is in control. But this is how I grew up in church. We did one hand in the pocket and then just one hand up in the air. Um, and then sometimes it wasn't all the way up. It was just like a head up like this. So it was just, this is all that I'm going to do. Um, that I'm holding on to something or we held on to the pew in front of us because you, you know, were swaying back and forth. And so you had to have that balance. So I want to start this morning with a question. How would your life change if you used more of your time, your money, and your energy on what is going to last forever. How would your life change if you knew that my money is not going to last forever and then you live that out in your life? If you knew that your days here on earth, your time was numbered and God knows the time for you and it's not going to last forever here, how would your time change? How would your energy change if you surrendered that energy to the Lord and you said, Lord, I can't do this on my own. Paul talked about it last week. This is the sustaining grace that we need. We not only need sustaining grace in the seconds of our day, we need his sustaining grace in the time of our day, in the money that we have, and in the energy that we have so that we make sure that we are moving forward as a refuge of grace, as people whose lives have been touched in every area completely by God's grace. We know if, if you've read the scriptures at all, we know that one of the things that Jesus has told us is that this world is not going to last, that this body is not going to last. And I'm thankful that we don't have to spend eternity right here on this earth. But instead, we can take hold of the promises that Jesus gave to his disciples in John chapter 14, that for us, that he said, I am going away to prepare a place for you. But he didn't just say, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. But then the fulfillment of that promise, or but then the extension of that promise was for each one of us when he said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. That's his second coming. And take you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. 
Praise the Lord that this earth and this body and the stuff that we have here are but for a mere moment compared to the eternity that we are going to spend with Jesus in heaven. So with this in mind, don't you think that grace should touch our time, our finances, and our energy? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we're not living for 2022. And we're not even living for the kingdom of the United States of America. But instead, we're living for the king who has created a kingdom that we can operate in for now, but also go to live with him for all of eternity. And this has to impact our right here and right now. So let me give you a couple scriptures because I know, because I said the word money, several of you have already built a wall and are hiding behind it. And I want to give you this asterisk or this disclaimer. I do not want your money. Because I didn't give it to you. The king did. So 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11 and 12 says, Since everything on earth will be gone one day. You see, Peter was there, and he heard Jesus' words in John 14. And he heard Jesus say, he's going away to prepare a place, and he's going to take us to that place. And so Peter says, everything on earth is going to be gone one day. He says, then what kind of people should you be? What kind of people should you be? Since everything that we invest our time in here, Everything that we invest our money in here on the earth and everything that we invest our energy here on the earth for, it's all going to be gone one day. Whenever the eastern skies split and Jesus steps out to call his bride home, this stuff doesn't matter anymore. And Peter tells us that. He says, since all of this is going to be gone, your lives should be holy and dedicated to God. As you wait for the day of God, do your best. You know why Peter wrote that? Because his life was changed by Jesus' grace. Not only was his life changed by the grace of God, but Peter, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was experiencing the sustaining grace of God every moment of his life. And Peter is writing to followers of Jesus saying, listen, we have to do everything we can to make certain that we do our best so that our time, our money, and our energy is focused on the work of the king and his kingdom and not our own selfish desires. All throughout the scriptures, we could go back from Genesis and go all the way to the end in Revelation, where John is writing and sharing the revelation of Jesus to seven churches. And all throughout the scripture, God tells us to choose our best, to look for our best, to think our best, to do what's best, and to give our best. A couple of scriptures for that. In Ecclesiastes 9.10, it says, whatever you do, you know the scripture, do your best for it. Whatever you do, do your absolute best. Colossians 3.22 says, With sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord, 
do everything you do for him. A couple of more verses here. 2 Peter 1 verse 5 through 8 says, Do your best to improve your faith. You can do this by adding goodness, understanding, self-control, patience, and devotion to God, concern for others, and love. If you keep growing in this way, it will show that Christ has made your lives useful and meaningful. In 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul says, concentrate on doing your best for God. So, that gets us over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I want to talk to you about a group of people that Paul is writing about. He's not writing to the Macedonian believers here, but he's writing to the Corinthian believers about the Macedonian believers. And here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is sharing some details on our brothers and sisters that lived almost 2,000 years ago when Paul was writing this. And these brothers and sisters of ours that were the early followers of Jesus Christ in Macedonia, which is modern-day Greece, in the middle of modern-day Greece, and it extends, up, it extends up from there. Paul is saying these are some afflicted brothers and sisters whose lives have been radically changed by the grace of God. Just exactly what we've been talking about for six or so weeks whose lives did not experience a wimpy, non-changing grace, but whose lives experienced the abundant life that Jesus, the life to the full that Jesus came to give. And then that abundant grace that God gave affected every single area of their life. These Macedonian believers were living in extreme poverty. But yet, Paul said, they are the most generous people that you could ever encounter. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to read verse 1 through 7. Paul writes, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability... Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in, your loving, and in your love for us, see to it that you also excel in this giving of grace. So Paul is writing about this greatly afflicted group of believers, the Macedonians. And Paul starts out in the first verse of chapter 8, and he shares how they were able to live their lives he says in the first verse that they experience the grace of God. He says, and now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Well, what kind of grace is this? Yes, it was a saving grace, but it was also a sustaining grace. And Paul would tell us in this, if you, if you keep reading in this, that this sustaining grace, despite their extreme poverty... And despite their afflictions, it pushed them to generosity. 
Because they were not giving to work that was taking place here on the earth. Instead, they were giving to the kingdom work that God was doing in the lives of those around them. And so because of this grace that not only saved them, but sustained them, it changed how they spent their time, how they spent their money, and how they spent their energy. And it radically affected every area of their life. And so Paul is showing us that our level of generosity is linked to our level of grace. I want you to catch this. Paul says they experienced a lot of grace. And because they experienced a lot of grace, they were really, really generous people. And Paul, you could read chapter 8 and chapter 9. 2 Corinthians is a letter about reconciliation. But in the middle of this letter, in chapter 8 and chapter 9, Paul stops for just a minute and says, we first were reconciled to Christ. That's grace. And then if we want to continue walking in that grace, then we have to be reconciled to each other. How are we reconciled to each other? We are generous with each other. And what Paul is demonstrating here is that our level of generosity is linked to our level of grace. So, do you want more faith? I think if we ask that question, And we were to do a survey here this morning. You don't have to raise your hand. But if I were to ask, if you want more faith, you'd probably raise your hand. Because every one of us would say, yeah, I want this in my relationship with Jesus Christ. We would say, we want more knowledge in the things of God. Absolutely. We would want more spiritual earnestness. We would want more love. Absolutely. And Paul says, I'm going to give you the solution to that in verse 7. He says, but since you excel in everything. So he's writing to the Corinthian believers here about the Macedonian believers. And he says to the Corinthian believers, there's a problem and I want to show you how to fix it. He says, you excel in faith. You excel in speech. You excel in knowledge. And you excel in complete earnestness and in the love that we've kindled in you. But now you've got to take that grace a step further. And you have to see to it that you also excel in this grace of giving. Do you see what Paul is saying? Our generosity, the giving, is linked to grace. And he calls it the grace of giving. So I'll make a bold statement here. You want to see how much grace you've got in your life? Look at how much you've supported his kingdom. You see, Paul said, you can have faith, speech, knowledge, complete earnestness, and the love that we've kindled in you, but you also have to let it get into your finances. You have to let it get into your time. You have to let it get into your energy and completely transform 100% of who you are. Paul says, it is the grace of giving, and we should have the same attitude about giving to the kingdom as we have about giving to anything right here on the earth. The Corinthian church was one of the strongest of all of the newly formed churches. 
And they had made a commitment to support the work of the missionaries that were then going out. And Paul is reminding them of this commitment that they had promised to participate in this offering. But they had lagged behind in their giving. And Paul says, you have to make sure that you excel in this grace of giving. In essence, what Paul is saying is, you Corinthian believers are grace people. And grace people are generous people with their time, their finances, and in all of their energy. Why? Because Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that grace is a grace that leads us to generosity is honoring of God. He said, You'll be glorifying God through your generous gifts because of grace. Not because they just wanted to start giving money away from everywhere. But instead, it was their grace that was glorifying God through their generous gifts. He goes on to say, your generosity, listen to this, will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. These are Paul's words. Paul says, your generosity will prove that you are obedient to to the good news of Christ. You see what Paul is doing here? You, do you understand what Paul is doing here? He's showing us that our level of generosity is linked to our level of grace. Your generosity will prove, he says. It's the evidence. So if we were to make an assessment this morning, we could go back and assess how generous are we to his kingdom. This proves your faith. It proves your level of grace that you have in your life. A couple, of, a couple of more scriptures here. Philemon chapter 1 verse 6. You are generous because of your faith. The next one in Malachi, Old Testament, 3.10. These are God's words. God spoke this. It says, bring your whole tithe into my storehouse. Test me in this and see. If I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't have room enough for it. These are God's words that were were recorded for us. And why was God saying that? Because the grace that he had given us had to get and filter into every single area of our lives. You cannot say that your life has been changed by the grace of God, but then not allow your time, your money, and your energy to be changed by the grace of God. You see, what that is doing is keeping it in your pocket and worshiping him with one hand. You see, that's a half-hearted worship. That's saying, I'm going to hold on to my time because it's mine. And I need to make sure that I build into my time this, that, and the other because it's my time. Or I need to make sure that I do with my money that which is good for me. Or I need to make sure that I'm investing my energy on the things that I like. Listen, that's the wrong way of thinking. And that is a life that has not been changed by the sustaining grace of God. Whenever you have been changed by the grace of God, you say to God, God, how do you want me to spend my time? God, How do you want me to spend my money? How is it that you want me to invest my energy? Because we recognize that we were bought for a price. And he, the king, paid that price. 
And so because we received that grace, we can no longer hold on to our time, our money, and our energy. We surrender it to him. And when you do this, you will, you will begin to discover that you have more time, more money, and more energy because you are investing it in his kingdom. And the promise was that he would open the storehouse of heaven and pour out blessings upon us that there is not room enough to receive it. That's not my promise. That's not White Chapel's promise. That's not the Apostle Paul's promise. That was God Almighty that spoke those words. That was Yahweh. That was Jehovah. And he said, I am going to return back to you more than you could ever give to me. You see, this is a refuge of grace. And Paul is saying the Macedonian believers that he's celebrating here are living lives that have been radically changed by grace because they are generous. Paul culminated this instruction by giving uh, and pointing out again in chapter 9, verse 15. So if you're still in 2 Corinthians, I want you to look at chapter 9, verse 15 with me because this is the highlight of what Paul is writing about. Remember, he's writing about reconciliation. This, 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 this second letter to the Corinthian believers is about reconciliation. But he stops in chapter 8 and chapter 9 and he addresses generosity. And he says it's all because of grace. But then look at chapter 9, verse 15. Paul says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. There's another translation that says, his inexpressible gift. You see, God, God has modeled giving for us. He came and gave his self. He did not have to leave the throne of heaven. He did not have to step out of heaven onto earth, but he did. He wrapped himself in flesh and for just over three decades, he gave of himself and then paid the ultimate price. He paid the price for us to experience this grace that would save us and then sustain us. And so the model for us is in Christ where he gave everything for us. So why would we not want to surrender everything to him? You see, if grace is about him giving to us, the next step is about us giving to him. Because you can't live in the kingdom unless you've submitted yourself to the king. And that's why Paul says, you know the level of grace that you have based off of your level of generosity in giving back to the king. In a refuge of grace, you have to give your life to the king. Now, you're probably thinking, boy, the church must be hurting financially, right? For him to go this far on grace and try to, we're not hurting financially. Our giving is down, absolutely. I, and it, it's, it, it is down in churches all across the United States. It's not just us. If you look at statistics, it's, it's happening in every church. There's lots of reasons for that. Gas that's almost $5 is one of those reasons. And I'm not going to get political and, and harp on that. 
Because Jesus didn't come for political reasons. He came for our souls so we could experience grace and then live it out every single day of our lives. I don't want to get into political issues in the economy. But I do want to get into people's lives who've experienced the grace of God. We're not hurting financially. Our finances are down, but it's happening in every church around the world. And I'm not preaching this message to you so you'll give more to the church. I'm preaching this message to you because I believe that this is what a grace relationship with Jesus Christ actually looks like. When he gives everything for us, we have to then in turn give everything to him. Because we can't selfishly spend our time, our money, and our energy however we want and then come back to our king and say, hey God, can you give me some more money or I just need a little bit more time or I just don't have the energy to do this. When we first instead should sit with the king and say, God, I have this much money that I believe you've given to me to begin with. I have this much time that I believe that you've given to me to begin with. You say, well, God didn't create time. Go back and read Genesis chapter 1 all over again. <laughs> he did create time. And he gave every one of us the same amount of time. You know, well, God didn't give me my money. Well, go back and read that he, not, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I believe he not only owns the cattle, but he also owns the hills that they're standing on. Because if you go back to Genesis 1, he spoke it into existence. And everything was about his relationship with mankind. That's us. It's not about the cows. It's not about the money. It's not about our energy. It's about us receiving his grace, living in his grace, in submission to a king. And so this time and this message here this morning is not about White Chapel. It's instead about us walking forward as a refuge of grace who are living generous lives that Paul has pointed out what a refuge of grace actually looks like. The Macedonian believers had very, very little because of a poor economy that they were living in. They were not only living in a poor economy, but they were the poorest, some of the poorest, of that economy. And so when finances get strapped, and time gets strapped, and our energy is suffering because of those things and other things, who is it that you're going to run to? Because the Democrats have been in power and have not helped us, and the Republicans have been in power and not helped us. And one says when they're not in power, they're going to cut spending or spend more. Or the other says when they're not in power, they're going to cut spending or they're going to spend more. What if we said, God, how do you want us to spend? How do you want us to do our time? How do you want us to invest our money? Because the promise that he's given us is when we first sit with him and discover how he wants us to do these things, he will pour out blessing upon blessing more than any economy in the entire world has ever been able to done that, to be, been able to do that. The Macedonian believers were suffering, but yet Paul says they were the most generous people because they were grace people. They understood that giving brings blessing. And John wrote it this way, and we looked at it last week. It's grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. You want to experience money? You want to experience more money? Well, let grace change your money. 
You want to experience more time? Well, let grace change your time. You want to experience more energy? Let grace change your energy. Because your soul cannot be the only thing changed by grace. It has to be everything of your life completely changed by grace. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10, Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. You wonder why you, things you're putting your hand to may not be blessed? Well, maybe you didn't live the first part of this in a grace-changed life of giving generously to his kingdom and the things that he's called us to do. Back again in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we looked at one verse, but a couple of more here. God loves the one who gives gladly. And God will make it up to you by giving you everything you need and more so that there will not only be enough for your own needs, but plenty left over to give joyfully to others. You see, it says God loves the one who gives freely. And the best part, the best part, it says God will make it up to you. It doesn't say we're going to have to wait for another recovery bill to pass Congress. It doesn't say we're going to have to wait until the price of the pump goes down. It doesn't say that we're going to have to wait for this, that, or the other. It says God will make it up to you. Let me tell you, I want the king to make it up to me more than I want any government to make it up to me. I want to be able to live in this grace-filled relationship that God is the one who makes it up to me. And it says he will give you everything you need and more. You see, this is a refuge of grace. We're not worried about the bottom line because I have a king. We're not worried about the bank. We're not worried about the economy. We're not worried about this or that or the other. We're worried about what the king is actually saying to us. Now listen, we have to be smart and we have to be good stewards. Because if we're not smart and we just live recklessly and we're not being good stewards, then God is not going to give to us. Because I'm not saying that we're the ones making the decisions. And I'm not saying that we've all got business degrees or we've all uh, financial degrees and we're going to sit down and we're going to say, what's the smartest thing to do? No, I'm instead saying every one of us, an organization and individuals, should sit down with the king and say, God, what do you want me to do in my time? God, what do you want me to do in my finances? And God, what do you want me to do with my energy? Because if I submit these things to you and I give them to you, give them to you gladly, then I'm going to take up Paul's promise here. Now remember, Paul started chapter 8 by saying, I'm going to tell you about the grace of these believers. Paul didn't start with finances. He started with grace because it was the grace that changed them. And then that grace sustained them, that changed their time, their finances, and also then changed their energy. Let me, I want to go back to this verse. Do you see here at the end, he says it's, it's not only enough for your own needs, but plenty left over to give joyfully to others. Joyfully to others. There's two words here that really stand out to me. Joyfully and others. You see, a part of why God's given you as much time as he's given you, and you probably think, oh, I, God's not given me any time. I don't have the time to do what I need to do. Oh, you've got, you've got time to do it. 
Maybe you just need to ask him how you invest that time. Then you'll discover you've got more than enough. That's the promise. That's his. He'll make it up to you by giving you everything everything you need and more. But these two words, joyfully and others, God's given you what he's given you, not for you. Oh, a part of it is for you. But it's also for other people. Do you remember we looked at last week of what grace was like? We talked about Jeffrey Dahmer and how sometimes we don't want people that are that bad to experience a life changed by grace. Max Licato, uh, in, in one of his books, actually wrote about how that frustrated him. That before um, he uh, passed away, before Jeffrey Dahmer passed away, he was frustrated at that because he actually surrendered to Jesus Christ. And I think every single one of us are that way. You see, we not only receive grace for ourselves, but to pour that grace into other people so they will come to Jesus Christ. You see, we don't become hoarders of grace. We give grace freely. And that's a part of our confession and repentance. And we then give other people forgiveness because our lives have been changed by grace. Because we've been forgiven, we have to forgive other people. Otherwise, you're breaking that relationship with the king, that grace relationship with the king. You can't expect to be forgiven and then not forgive other people. Well, it goes the same way when it's in our time, our finances, and in our energy. We, give, we get grace to give grace. And Paul says they're, because of grace, actually giving to other people. And a part of this promise of God in people whose lives have been radically changed by grace and they're living the abundant or full life that God actually has for them is so that they take their time, the money, and the energy that God has given them and they invest that joyfully in other people. This is what Paul is talking about here. And he's telling one of the greatest churches, this is what you actually need to do. Because joy comes when we are free from the burden of our stuff and selfish hoarding and we give it back to God. That's true in grace and that's true in our time, our money, and our energy. We don't hoard our time. We don't hoard our money. We don't hoard our energy. Instead, we give it back to God and we say, God, this is yours. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You created me. You gave me grace. You are sustaining me with that grace. You've given me time. You've given me money. You've given me energy. Now, how is it that you want me to spend that? Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you that you continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.